James 1 and verse 26 and 27. We have a, a, a really heavy study today, man. I, I, I hope you're ready for it, but it is a heavy study. It really is. Now, imagine if you're going to church service. Uh, imagine, you know, you read your Bible like maybe almost every day. Uh, you know, you're a regular here at Calvary Chapel Almani. Who knows, maybe you're even involved in ministry. Um, I don't know, you're plugged in, in in many ways. You got the t-shirt, the bumper sticker. Uh, you read Christian books and stuff. But then one day you die, and then you stand before God. You stand before God, and you were never really a Christian. Imagine that. Imagine the nightmare. Imagine the eternal horror that would be. So today's study, that's kind of what it's all about. It's like uh, three signs of salvation, areas for examination. How do you know that you're really a Christian? Now, I will tell you this, that when you read the Bible, there's an inner witness. You have the Holy Spirit. He tells you on the inside that you're a Christian. But you also have what's called an outer witness. And you're going to see that your, your life will change. Your, your lips, your language will change. And so, like C.H. Spurgeon said, uh, faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. we got to be different. And so here's something that's so important because our heart as a church, you know, not just a social club, our heart as a church is that you go to heaven. Our heart as a church is that you have life now, supernatural life now, and then forever, and then when you die You don't go to hell, you go to heaven. That's what we want. And not only that, we want you guys to get saved and then stay on track. Because we're living in a world where it just wants to push you out of the road. And so get saved, stay on track, and get strong as a Christian. And so things like today, today's study, it it really is helpful in that. And we're going to see three signs of salvation. Number one, our conversation, the way that we talk. Number two, our compassion, the way that we reach out to the, 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 you know, the orphan, the widow, the homeless, the jobless, the hurting, the struggling, those that are out there that need help. And, and then after the conversation and the compassion, then we have the conduct. And we're going to see how God wants to keep us, if you're really a Christian, unspotted from the world. And so look what he says in verse 26. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious... And does not bridle or tame or restrain his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Now, I know we normally don't like the word religion here in Calvary Chapel Almani. We say, I'm not religious. I have a relationship with God. You know, we kind of have the mentality that says religion is man's attempt to reach God, whereas Christianity is God's attempt to reach us. And so I understand the connotation there. But we kind of know huh, what, what it means when someone says, I, I'm, I'm religious. I, I'm religious. You know, the, the holy habits, the spiritual disciplines, the, you know, whatever, the sacraments, the ceremonies, you know, the, the things like this, right? This is what we mean when we say we're religious. And the thing about it is that some people, they trust in things like that to save them, or they trust in things like that to help them to. Uh, trust in things like that to sanctify them. And, and what James is saying is that those things, the, the religious things, without the true transformation, it is useless. He says, if you think or claim or have the opinion that you're right with God, you're cool in his sight, if you claim to re- be religious but don't control your tongue, 
then you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. It's useless. And so it's really heavy stuff. You can tell by the way you talk. That's what he says. You know, the bridle, I, I wanted to show you guys a video of uh, the way they put the bridle on the horse. It's pretty cool. Um, I had never seen it. And they put the bit way deep down and the bridle all around the head. Because you guys know how awesome horses are, huh? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure when we get to heaven, when we come back with Jesus, we're going to be riding on a horse. How many of you guys have ridden a horse? You've just gone galloping and on a horse. Man, that must be so fun. Because horses are strong. They're amazing. Man, to tame a horse is a pretty cool thing. You know, they're so powerful, right? And our tongue is the same way. I mean, our tongue, when it's not in control, it gets wild, wild. And so that's what James is saying here. If you want to like examine your life, are you really a Christian? Well, I go to church. I got the teacher, uh, whatever T-shirt. I went, said the prayer, whatever. You know, I listen to worship music, and you know, I serve in ministry. I'm a pastor. I'm a priest. I'm a Levite. Doesn't mean anything. He says. If you have not learned to tame your tongue, then your religion is useless. And he's teaching us really straight out because he loves us. He's not trying to offend anybody. He's not trying to hurt your feelings. He's not trying to, you know, make you mad. He's trying to save you. He's trying to help us understand that it can't just be superficial religion, right? I mean, we do all this stuff, but we talk trash and lies, the language of Lucifer, we gossip, we slander, we curse, we belittle others, cut them down, beat them with verbal abuse. James is saying, if that's me, then my so-called religion is useless. And there are many people who are deceived because they're of the persuasion that the outward rituals are sufficient but when you read the Bible, you find that they're not. You guys, if, if you get a chance, I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 23. And that's when Jesus just, he just slammed. He blasted the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees were the guys with the robes. They had the tassels. They had the phylacteries on their foreheads and their hands. They knew the Bible inside and out. They would go and they would pray in the middle of the road. I mean, they fasted like crazy. These guys... You know, they would travel on land and sea to win a proselyte. But Jesus said, you have all the externals. You look so good. You look so good on the outside. But inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And if there's anyone, you know, who could be saved by their works and their sacraments and their ceremonies and their external religion, it would be them. But the Lord said, no, you guys are a son of hell and you're making people twice a son of hell. So what we find is that those external things are useless. There are many people, unfortunately, who are caught up in that. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that the church or the institution of the church and yet James is against it or Jesus is against it. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I will build my church. Later on in the book of James, he talks about the assembly of the saints. He talks about how we have elders in the church. So there is that place for that. But you just have to make sure that it's not real. I have to make sure. That Manny, just because I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean that I'm saved. I mean, there are many, Jesus said, who have cast out demons or they preach sermons and they don't know the Lord. Are you really, truly born again? If you were to die today, would you honestly go to heaven? 
It can't be just because you said the prayer. It can't be just because you go to church. It can't be just because you read your Bible or pray or serve in ministry. You have to examine your life and to see, has anything changed? One of the things we'll see that it's all wrapped up in is this thing called love. And one of the ways that you can tell, James says, is by the way you talk. By the way you talk. You know, Luke 6.45, it says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And so you can tell where a person's at by the way they speak. You know, and so I remember when I, you know, before I was a Christian, I used to cuss really bad four-letter words, F-bombs everywhere. It was just saturated everywhere. That's how I used to talk. And then when I got saved, we're talking after years of talking like that, God took it away. Now, for me, it was overnight. For me, I don't know how, it just disappeared. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it is for everyone, but all, all what James is saying is you can tell what's in the heart by the way he speaks. And so for some, maybe it's a process. All I know is you've got to be on the road to recovery. There has to be a conviction with your conversation. Every time you speak, you're either investing in someone's life or you're withdrawing from someone's life. You can tell if you're saved by the way you talk. You know, for some people, it takes a little longer to clean their mouth from all the garbage or, you know, profanities. I remember one guy, he told me, he said he found out he was saved or he was confirmed in that. And that one day, he finally, after, after being a Christian for a long time, he hit his hand with the hammer and he didn't cuss. And he's like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I remember a new believer and uh, just, I was about to get in an accident because I took my ha- eyes off the road and... You know, you know, you might say one word, oh, whatever the word is. And I remember saying, Jesus. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good, you know, sign that in the moment, you know, something good comes out of your heart. And then that's all James is saying. If you think you're religious, but you haven't bridled your tongue, then that religion is useless. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to give us something that we can examine ourselves, like the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, to see whether or not we're really saved, whether or not we're in the faith. I mean, if you look at at James chapter 3, turn there for a moment if you would. Look at verse 8. We're going to talk more about the tongue But he says, no one can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You know, no one can tame the tongue. Who can tame the tongue, though? God can tame it. We can't tame it, right? But the tongue, if you think about it, man, if it's not used properly, it can spread this poison, deadly poison. It says right here, with it, in verse 9, we bless our God and Father. We're here praising God. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the image of God. People do that. They're here, they're praising God. Next thing you know, they're cursing others out. And, you know, James is talking about it. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives 
Yes or no? No, right? Or a grapevine bear figs? And the answer is no. And so with our tongues, when we're transformed, when we're touched by the Holy Spirit, when God's inside of us, when we're saved, we'll be able to tell, James says, by the way we talk. And, and not, that's not just that. We'll talk about more later, but it's just something to begin the conversation. Basically, we'll know uh, by the fruit. And so let me ask you guys a question. What's the most popular or most uh, consumed fruit in the whole world? Do you guys know what it is? What would you say? Bananas is number two. Sorry, not apples. Watermelon is number three. Number one, let's show the picture. I think we have a picture of it. Can you guys see that? Tomatoes. How many of you knew that was a fruit? I'm just curious. <laughs> so 171 million uh, metric tons of tomatoes are consumed every single year pizza sauce you know all that kind of stuff i love tomatoes they're really good and they're good for you but you know what that plant is by the fruit that it bears right and it's the same thing with us i can tell you can tell by listening to the language that spills forth out of our mouth Again, not that we're perfect. We're going to sin. We're going to mess up. But we should be on this road to recovery. There should be an aspect of conviction and consistency with the conversation that we have. You know, what we find is the Lord is saying, hey, you know, again, I don't want to sound oversimplistic, but there needs to be a transformation with my tongue. We need to speak good things. Again, when we look at this, how can we know we're Christians? Uh, like you go to the doctor. I don't know if they still do this, but they used to do this. Open your mouth. Say, ah. Yeah, we want to see your tongue. Okay, we can find out whether or not. And you know, sometimes when you're, when you're a Christian, it's so cool because I love being around people and they just talk about the Lord. You know, they talk about the things that God is doing. They talk about things of the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that's all you can talk about. I mean, you might talk about the game last night. It was pretty amazing or whatever. But, you know, there's this this general consistency because it's in their heart. So number one is a conversation. Number two is compassion. Notice what we read in James 1 and verse 27. It says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, he may just be talking about religion, or he might be taking it up a notch, where he says pure and undefiled religion. You know, pure and faultless, pure in general, genuine. This is the, the real deal. The, the word pure in the Greek, it means not mixed or adulterated with other substances or materials. Undefiled means it's not poisoned. So pure and undefiled religion. So you guys know what it is to have pure 100% orange juice, right? Uh, You guys know what it is. We try to avoid the the poison and stuff. This is real stuff. This is good stuff. This is not fake stuff. This is not harmful stuff. Is what? He says visiting orphans and visiting widows. In In their trouble. You know, in one sense, we can see if we're saved by the way we talk. And in another sense, we can see if we're saved by the way we walk, right? 
we are uh, not just talky-talkies, right? We talked about this. We're walkie-talkies. There's both, right? Not just the lips, but the lives. Not just the conversation, but the compassion. Let me ask you a question. Did you guys know that the Holy Spirit is called the helper? How many of you knew that the Holy Spirit was called the helper? Okay, so the helper lives inside of you. And so that if, that, if the Holy Spirit, if the helper lives inside of us, I believe with all my heart that he doesn't just want to help me. That's part of what he wants to do. He wants to help me because I need help, but he wants to use me to help others. That's when you know you're really a Christian, when you're not just selfish, when it's not just about me, when it's not just about me helping people who I know can pay me back. This is real Christianity. This is when the rubber meets the road. You know, when your conversation changes and is clean, it's pure, it's edifying, it's beautiful, it's about Jesus. And, and when your compassion grows, because we know that is God. When Jesus saw the multitudes, they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He just saw them and he was moved with compassion. That's why we got to have the same heart. You know, visit the orphans. And that's just, uh, you don't just go to the orphan and say, hey, what's up? You don't do that, right? You, you go to help the helpless, right? You know, an interesting thing about the word, and you guys will see it in the Bible when it talks about the kids. I mean, uh, I will say this, that whenever you travel the world, whatever your country you go to, the kids are all the same. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. But one out of every four child is working, and 261 million kids are struggling. 150 million orphans in the world that we live in. You know, the, 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 the word, when you look at it from a biblical perspective, is interesting because a lot of times the, the Lord just calls them the fatherless. The fatherless. And so imagine a kid having no parents. And you guys know the importance of parents. You know how much they love their kids. You know how they provide for their kids. You know how they take care of their kids. But imagine a kid having no parents. Of course, our hearts would go out to them. But then even a kid that doesn't have a father and your heart is moved towards them. He says, this is real Christianity. And I wanted you to turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 1. And he talks a little bit about what we're covering. Look what he says in, in verse 3. It says, The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Isaiah 1 in verse 4 Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel, they have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faints from the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with, with ointment. This is an individual, really, uh, most people believe that he's talking about someone with leprosy. There's no spiritual sensitivity here. I mean, they're just thrashed. 
And they might not look thrashed on the outside. They might look fine and dandy on the outside. But when God looks at them, he sees them this way. He says in verse 7, Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence since desolate is overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, surrounded by who? Surrounded by the enemy. Unless the Lord of hosts had led to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Now, you guys know this, right? You Christians know this. This is where we are. This is where we are heading. Unless God intervenes. Sodom and Gomorrah. He says in verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Remember, he's talking to his people. Notice what he calls them. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to me before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moon, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul, God says, hates. They're trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. This is God. This is God saying, I am tired of your religion. He says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. To me, when I read that right there, you know what he's saying in one sense? I mean, of course, it is applicable to the Christian. You guys, let's, 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 let's get in this to win this. Let's be right in God's sight. Let's be holy. Uh, you know, completely committed, surrendered to the Lord, right? But it's also talking about people going to church and they're not really saved. He says, come, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. How do you wash yourself? How do you make yourself clean? By giving your heart to Jesus. Believing in him who died for you. And he was, you know, nailed to a cross. He rose again. But it's not just lip service. It's not just in my brain. It's not just in my mind. It's in my heart. I'm his. When Jesus asked me to marry him, I said, yes. He's saying, come. You know, he says right here, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. God sees it all. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. That's what we're doing here on a Sunday. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. And here it is. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. That's what James is saying. It's the same thing James is saying. It's not about religion. There's this practical aspect of not just conversation, but compassion. And then I love what he says in verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, when we come on a Sunday morning, we're not just doing our holy habit. This is not a rut. This is not a routine. This is me for wherever I am in my spiritual geography saying, I want to be right with God. 
And I might, you may have been saved for 31 years like me or whatever, how long it's been, but, you know, I, I want to be right with God. And, and then there's those who never have made that commitment. I know for sure in a crowd like this, there are some here, I know for sure, who don't know the Lord. It's just, it's just the way it is. And all this, all this is because the God of the universe is madly in love with you. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, you know, he's just trying to, I think, not just, you know, passionately or aggressively, but just truthfully say, it's not about religion. It's about this relationship that's real. You know, back in the book of James, Talk about the the orphans. You know, that's why I'm so blessed by being able to go to a Mexico missions trip. And they're going to go and they're going to visit the kids that um, some don't have parents at all. They're in this orphanage. Others don't have parents that could, you know, give them an education or, or feed them properly. Some they found on the streets. We're so blessed as a church to be part of also an orphanage in Cambodia I'll never forget when it all hooked up and God allowed us this privilege, these kids that are so poor. I am so blessed to know that's true Christianity and these are things that we're engaged in. Not just the the kids with no parents, but also in one sense the the, the widows with no kids kind of. Look what he says next, that we are to to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. So just real quick, let me ask you, when was the last time you reached out to an orphan? When was the last time you reached out to a widow? Now some of you here, you know when it is. Boom. When was the last time you reached out to someone who was homeless? Someone who was jobless? Someone who, if you were to help them, they would never be able to help you back financially. I mean, this is real Christianity. You know, the widows in those days, especially some that became Christians, these are individuals, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, it talks about how, you know, in those days, if the widow didn't have any kids to help them, because that was the way they would be supported when they got older, then the church would help them. And so it says in Acts chapter 6 verse 1 that they gave out a daily distribution to widows. Imagine that every single day, because that's what Christianity really is. You know, I, I was just so blessed, you know, not to toot my own horn in any way, but super, super blessed because there was this one uh, pastor's wife and, and her, her husband, you know, died. He was a pastor of a church. And I don't know why God just laid her heavy on my heart, heavy on my heart. And we, I would pray for her. I never dreamed that I'd meet her. And then the one day that I finally met this widow, I just, I just, man, my heart just melted in her presence. There was a special place in her heart for me. And I just told her, listen, if you ever need anything, please, I just want you to know that we would love to help in any way because, you know, I don't know, there's something there. And God, the Lord does the hookups. And I was just so blessed. Maybe about, you know, a couple months later, she called. I couldn't believe it. I didn't even know she had her phone number. Somehow she ended up calling us and allowing us to help her. You know, and, and so this is really something that we can see in a very tangible 
way. This is love because really where there's love, there's life. Remember what the Lord told that guy who came and asked him, uh, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? And the, Jesus said, go to church. No, I'm sorry, he didn't say that, right? He said what? What did he say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And then what did the guy say? Well, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And there's this guy that was on the road to Jericho. He fell among thieves. He was left for dead. And guess who passed by him first? First, it was the priest. The priest, the high priest of Israel saw him there, and he just passed on by on his way to hell. After him, guess who came? The Levite. They were the helpers to the priest. He saw him there. He saw him in his blood. He said, oh, this is probably a dangerous situation and I have to go to church and be there at a certain time, whatever. And he passed him by. But then who came next? It was a Samaritan. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews because they didn't cross every I and dot every, I mean, cross every T and dot every I. They didn't do all that religious stuff. But the guy, he, what does he do? He picks him up, he puts him on his horse, he tends to his needs, he takes him to the inn, and he says, listen, if this guy needs anything, I'll pay for it. And Jesus said, this one went home justified. Because this is what true Christianity is. If you're not a Christian, and then you look at stuff like this, hopefully today you become a Christian. If you are a Christian... I would also say that this James is probably encouraging us to move in this direction. How can I speak better? How can I help others? And then the third thing is interesting. He says right here in James chapter 1 and verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, just in case you're thinking, well, being a Christian is about morality and it's about social benevolence. Because there are a lot of people like that. We're like, oh, I don't, you know, have really a hunger for God and, and the Bible, you know, but I do good deeds. And that's why James here says, well, hold on a second. There's one more thing that we've got to talk about. And that is that you have to keep yourself unspotted from the world unstained from the world, unpolluted, uncorrupted, uncontaminated by the world. Now, when he talks about the world right here, what he's talking about is how the whole world, 1 John 5, 19, is under the sway of the wicked one. Did you guys know that? That out there in the world, pop culture is just so far away from God. So far away from God, all the media, all the things that you see, not all, but almost all the things you'll see in Hollywood, all the crazy, you know, politicians. I mean, the things that we see are going on, not all of them. You got a, a remnant that's okay, but for the most part, the world that we live in, especially the United States of America, is intoxicated by the world. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to stuff their lies and their agenda into your heart. And they're doing everything they can. And sometimes even Christians or people who go to church are buying everything they say, hook, line, and sinker. 
You know, the other day I saw a video, and I wish I had more details for you, but it was a, it was a, a really... Um, because, you know, Disney, you knew it was inevitable. Eventually, Disney's going to go gay, right? Of course, you know they're going to start, you know, influencing children, right? Because that's what they believe. They believe that's right. God believed that's wrong. What do you believe? You know, Romans chapter 1, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, it says that if you're homosexual and you continue in that lifestyle, you won't go to heaven. And so the whole world is saying, no, it's good, it's good, it's something to be proud of. Again, we love everybody, but we have to be careful. There's this video, and it's just uh, one of the, the shows for the kids, I don't know, some musical show, and you get these two guys, and they're just madly in love, singing to each other. And, you know, I mean, maybe you're old enough, and you wouldn't be influenced by it, but your little, you know, tween, uh, you know, child, they might not, you know, they might be influenced by it. You might not even know they're watching it. And that's how the world, and not just that, so many things that are contrary to the scriptures. The world here, it describes the total system of evil that pervades every sphere of human existence and is set in opposition to God and to righteousness. Now, we as Christians, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. One day I'm going to get that tattoo, not of the world. Have you guys seen the little, not of the world? When I say tattoos, people look funny at me. Don't say that, Manny. That's another uh, study. We'll talk about that another day. But Jesus said, we are in the world, but not of the world. And what that means is like, like that's why I like Ryan so much, because he's willing to go out there on the front lines. He's willing to be with, you know, everybody that you can imagine whatever, because we know who we are. We're, nothing, we're not better than anyone else by any means. We love the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We love people. But as far as their agenda and their lies that are contrary to the Bible, we are not polluted. We don't let that mindset find a home in our hearts. We're unstained by that. And, and James says that's how you can find out if you're a Christian. You know, let me give you four things to add to that, and then we'll close and wrap it all together. Because when it comes to the world, you guys, you're in it every day. You guys are in the front lines, and my heart goes out to you. But let me tell you, number one, do not be friends with the world in that sense. Like I said earlier, you can have friends who are unsaved, but as far as the lies or sway of the wicked one, don't be friends with that. James 4, 4, it talks about that. Number two, do not love the world. Next thing you know, you like Ryan said, you got the, you know, the shiny objects, whatever. They wrap it up so nicely. And the music is good. The camera, the music, the, the movies are all good. He says, listen, if you are friends with the world, next thing you know, you might love the world. So the Bible says in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then thirdly is do not be conformed to this world. And now, ultimately, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to conform you into their image. They're trying to change your mindset and take away the biblical worldview. And so, don't be friends. Don't love. Don't be conformed by the world, lest we be condemned with the world, which is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world.
And so you have to guard your hearts. You know, uh, to be honest, you know, you look at, you listen to some of the music or, or the movies, or they're just so like artistically done and well done, and there's so much money being poured into it. And, you know, it, it sounds a little appealing to the flesh, you know, the lies that are being told. It kind of reminds me of Lot. You guys remember Lot? He was the nephew of Abraham. And, uh, you know, one day, the, I guess things were getting real big. Their, their uh, families were growing. Their, their flocks were growing. And Abraham said, okay, well, what do you want to do, Lot? You know, and if I were Lot, I would have said, you know, Father Abraham, Uncle Theo, I want to stay with you. I want to stay with you, you know, because if you guys think about it, who Abraham was, he's the father of the faith. I don't want to leave your side. But Lot, what does he do? He lifts up his eyes and he goes and he sees Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow, it's so beautiful over there. He looked with his eyes and he ends up, next thing you know, moving to Sodom and Gomorrah. Next thing you know, he's entrenched in it. He's sitting at the gates, one of the judges there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you guys know what happened to him. He lost everything except his salvation. He lost his wife. She turned into a pillar of salt. You guys know what happened to his daughters. It was not a pretty sight. See, and that's what can happen when we find ourselves engaged in worldliness. So you're a Christian. Are you a Christian? Well, you look at three things. Number one, uh, where's my conversation? You know, and if you are a Christian, just out of curiosity, for those of you who are believers, how many can use like some help in your conversation? You're like, I need the Lord to touch my tongue. I, I think we all do, right? Um, number two, how's your compassion? You know, start looking out. Who can I help, Lord? Seriously, not someone who would take advantage of it for the wrong reason, but someone where there's a genuine need. Because that's what Christians do. And then number three, you just kind of check your heart. Am I spotted by the world? Lord, show me your word. I, I would say that when James writes this, n- there's two reasons, really. Number one is, is he wants us to behave. He wants us to be good, all right, with our lips and lives. But the number two is because he wants people not just to be good, Christians, but to be saved. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, then that's the invitation. That's how we'll end this service. If you're not a Christian, that today you would make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. I was talking to my family the other day and I told them, you know what, I have to, I have to get my house in order. I'm already 27 years old and I... <laughs> I don't know, I might die. I, you, I don't know, I wish I could talk to all of you. I wish I could talk to all of you and ask you, when I tell you that I could die tomorrow, like, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that I'm being, like, fearful, scare tactics? Or am I being real? I don't know. I, I mean, who knows? All I know is that when I was there, I was talking to the Lord. He said, you should get your house in order because you're already 50-something, he, and, and, and you might die. And it's true. None of us has tomorrow guaranteed. And so the, the, the thing that I would like to ask you is if, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Do you know for sure? And let's just say you're here and you say, no, I don't know for sure. 
okay, then you got to get saved today, okay? But let's just say you're here and you're like, yeah, I'd go to heaven. I'd go to heaven. Let me ask you another question. Why? Why would you go to heaven? Let's just say this is heaven's door and the angel says, okay, uh, 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 you're about to go into heaven. Why should I let you in? Why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Would you say, well, I'm a good person? Eh, you go the other way. There are none good, no, not one. All fall short of the glory of God. We're not good enough to go to heaven. If that was your answer, I never murdered anyone. I never did anything bad. No, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all separated ourselves from God. We've all sinned against him. The only answer that anyone could say is I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that, I pray that you would today. This is, I know, like a study like this, remember I told you in the beginning it's all heavy and all that, you know, and not every study is like this, but this one is pretty straightforward. James is saying, you know, you got to check out your life to make sure you're really a Christian. And if you're not, let's do this. Let today be the day of salvation.